When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at my bookie where you can still choose from two great promo codes, whatever fits your needs. The first promo code would be our exclusive deal with MyBookie. You can go to MyBookie.ag, use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. That one does come with a playthrough, but hey, I mean, it's tough to beat a 50% bonus on top of that first deposit, but if you want to avoid the playthrough, we've got another option for you. Just go to MyBookie.ag and use the promo code 200CASH to get a 10% straight cash bonus into your account that you don't worry about a playthrough with. You just bet your deposit one time, and boom, you can withdraw that cash to do whatever you want to with it. So again, mybookie.ag, promo code UGA for a 50% bonus on your first deposit, or promo code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus on that first deposit. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and joining me today to recap Georgia's oh-so-very-stressful but ultimately exhilarating 27-20 win over the Auburn Tigers inside Jordan-Hare Stadium is my longtime coach, Curtis. Curtis, you and I went to the game together on Saturday, along with our lovely wives. Got to mention them, of course. I know everyone listening, whether you were in the stadium or not, you were all on pins and needles for most of that game. But, Curtis, I want you to describe for us the experience of being in the stadium when it looks like all hope is lost. I don't know, say after they initially ruled Dejan Edwards fumbled right after they scored a touchdown off of Oscar Delt's fumble to open the second half, to what it's like walking out of the stadium and back to your car after we pull it off and and come away with a win. It's a really nice feeling, and I think sometimes, especially like things looked so dark for a long period of time. Those the Auburn faithful, you know, went from feeling really good about everything to. Uh, all of a sudden taking the moral victories. So you kind of like... Did you catch that too, walking out of the stadium? Oh yeah, tons of it. And and, and at the same time, you know, after, you know, a few minutes after, like once it hits you that you won and then you start hearing them talk like that, I do always catch myself being like, oh man, that's where we used to be. Thank God we're not yep. there anymore. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the hilarious. You get this all the time. Like, put, like when it's a close game like this and you pull it out, it's always the fans, you know, rationalizing. They put their own team down, which is what I find hilarious about it. It's like... Oh, oh, why are you guys so excited? You just beat a, a two and two team. Like, we're not even that good. And it's like, um, well, okay, cool. Well, we won, so it's all good. But yeah, the rationalization was kicking in high gear walking out of the stadium. But I just asked you that, Curtis, because for me, I mean, I know I am insane. I know I'm crazy, and uh, I, I'm a special kind of ridiculous going to all these games that I go to. But this is why I go to those games. There's moments like that, right, where you walk out of that stadium, and, and I'm serious, man. It is one of the truly great feelings in the world. When you are just – you feel like all hope is lost at points. I mean, when Dejan fumbled, quote-unquote, and didn't actually fumbled, I mean, you and I looked at each other, and I was just like, it's over. It's done. Yeah, it's like, we mean, knew it was that done. that crowd was we, going insane. There's no way. Exactly. It reminded me, especially, you know, if you go to some of these away games, 
you kind of start to get flashbacks. So I was starting to get flashbacks to 2017. Oh God, yeah, Jesus. Oh yeah, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah, I mean that, that one got out of hand, right? Special yeah. second half. We turn the ball over, they make big plays, gets out of hand, and then you know we get steamrolled. And I, I was afraid that we were going to see that again. Now that Auburn team was much better than this Auburn team, so it's more understandable. This Auburn team, there's no way that should happen. So when Dajan, quote unquote, again fumbled but didn't actually fumble, I was just, I was, I was down, man. I was down. And then you saw the replay. I was like, no, no, there's two body parts down. And then you're like, okay, it's okay. And then we come back, and obviously we win. But there were some low points, and I know you guys all felt them too, again, whether you're in the stadium or not. But this is why I love going to games like that is because when you walk out of a stadium like that, when you go from the depths that we were at at points to the just utter euphoria of winning that game and still having all of our goals out in front of us, it's an incredible feeling, man. And then just a, a, a rivalry game like that where you can just see like they were so elated, they were so pumped up, and just to see them so dejected. I know I sound like an awful, cruel, terrible human being saying that, but that's part of the fun in college football. You know, I mean, seeing your rivals, miserable, that's part of the fun. So that was very nice. And, you know, well, of course, you know, we don't want to rub anyone on its face. You know, we're just – we're trying to – keep our heads down, be as quiet as we can, head back to our car, like racing back to the car. But still, it's a, it's a beautiful feeling, man. So that, that was great. Didn't always feel that way the entire game, but it was, uh, it was certainly great to get out of there with that win. So yes, it felt great after it was all said and done. But Curtis, we all know this, man. It did not always feel that way on Saturday. And there are clearly some areas where we still very much need to improve. That's nothing new with this team. We are very much a work in progress. We did do a lot of really good things, I thought. There were a lot of positives to take out of this game. And we'll get to those. But we all saw some of the issues, Curtis. So let's start there. Let's start there because after a game like this where we get pushed to the brink by an opponent where which shouldn't really push us to the brink, they shouldn't be capable of doing that. Of course, m- most of the interest is around what went wrong. Most of the questions, the feedback I got on social media last night, and they were coming in hot and fast all night long, even into today. All the interest is around what's going wrong. So we're going to start there. And I think the most glaring issue, I don't think I know the most glaring issue, and really, in my opinion, just me, there are other minor issues, but to me, the only major issue in this game was the fact that, yes, we did give up over 200 yards rushing for the first time since October 13th, 2018, Curtis, against LSU in Baton Rouge. You, you and I were both at that game together five years ago, man, like almost five years ago. That's crazy. But it was 219 yards to be exact. The most yards a Georgia defense has given up on the ground in nearly five years, Curtis. There's no need to overcomplicate this question. What was the issue? It's as simple as a lack of discipline. It's really what it was. What did you see from a discipline standpoint? You know, it seemed like Auburn, from what you could tell, was kind of doing things that they hadn't really done all season. But there were still things that our players are coached not, you know, to deal with and Auburn ran quite a bit of misdirection, and our, especially our outside, our inside linebackers could not keep – they just lost vision and um, did not keep track of the ball, and I think that was the biggest thing. And then not not only that, but then especially on the outside linebacker, we did a terrible job at containment. Oh, sure, of course. I mean, it, it was a total team failure. Is that, is that fair to say? Was it a failure? I mean, for, the, I for at least the front seven, I think there's no question the front seven failed this, this game. Yeah. And I don't – there were more positions at fault and more players at fault than others, but I think they all bear some culpability in this for sure. I think the front six, absolutely. To me, now in the stadium, Curtis, you and I, like we're going – you know, when you're in the stadium there, guys, I mean, and you obviously when you watch it on TV too, there's only – like we don't get to see replays in the stadium. So, you know, you're watching a bunch, a billion different positions, a bunch of different players at the same time. You don't see every little detail. But in the stadium, it kind of felt like we were talking about it. It seemed like it was the edge players, right? 
Yeah, it uh, it did felt like them predominantly. It certainly felt like, them. and they they certainly were not perfect, and they they have plenty of things that they need to get improve on too. But I had a chance. My lovely wife is amazing, and she is willing, and well, she insists on driving back, and so it's it's all good though, because I get to sit back there and I get to watch the game on my phone on the way home. That's exactly what I did. I I went back and watched with a fine tooth comb. That was my first rewatch. I already put a second rewatch into it, and on the way home, I I watched it very closely, and it. Again, the edge play to my Chas Chambers, Marvin Jones Jr., those guys was not spectacular. It wasn't particularly good even. But really more than anything, it was our inside linebacker play, Curtis. It really was. Yeah. Uh, there was no uh, question. Uh, yeah, their explosive play that the sixty was a sixty one yarder that Peyton Thorne had. I'm yep. trying to put yeah. some yeah, I'm trying to put some video together on this. It just takes time. You know, we're trying to get the podcast together and video it's, it's a whole thing. I'm trying. I'm trying though. On that play, Curtis, it was CJ Allen. It was true freshman, C.J. Allen. He's the one who had his eyes in the wrong spot. What we're running, guys, we'll talk about, talk about this a little bit more maybe in the video and, and maybe later on this week. The concept we're running is called scrape exchange. It's a scrape exchange concept. What that means is typically you have the the, the edge players and have the quarterback if you're running an op- playing an option team, right? So if, like, if they're running a zone read, which is kind of what – it wasn't really a zone read, but similar concept. And then the, the linebackers have the dive. Well, with scrape exchange, you invert the responsibilities. The edge player crashes. And that basically gives a read pull to the uh, to the quarterback, and then you and he thinks he's got an open an open space there, but you have the linebacker scraping over the top. You're exchanging that responsibility. We were running that most of the game because in the idea behind that is you want like if they have athletic quarterbacks that they're trying to get in space, you want to put a more athletic defender in space to be able to match up with him. That's the idea behind it. The issue though was our inside linebackers, their eyes were all over the place, Curtis. They were hesitant in those reads, and on that one play in particular, that 61 yarder. C.J. Allen had his eyes on the dive. He stood still for a split second, for a split second. That split second was all it took because he had, because Auburn had it schemed up really well. It wasn't just a simple zone read. They had, they had pullers to lead block for Peyton Thorne. And by the time he reacts and gets to where he's supposed to be, he's already outflanked. And that's what was happening, Curtis, our inside linebackers. It wasn't just C.J. Allen. That was just the biggest play they had. Uh, Pop later on got hurt in one of those two. It was another run by uh, by. Peyton Thorne on the exact same play. They ran that same play like three or four different times in the games. Why would you not? When the first time you run, you get 61 yards on it. But consistently, all of the inside linebackers were getting outflanked because they had their eyes in the wrong spot and they were a step slow in their reads. That was the issue more than anything. Yeah, I know it looked like our edge players were just like crashing wildly, and they were, but that's by design. That was the scheme that we were running. So on the rewatch there, again, I think it's more inside linebacker play, which – you know, coming in the season, Curtis, I felt like this was one of the strengths of the entire team, like in terms of like an overall room. How do you feel about that room right now? That's kind of what I expected. I mean, not to this degree, but especially with Pop, you know, I've been vocal saying I don't think he's as good as he what he's being built up to be. Um, and then C.J. Allen, I mean, yeah, he's a true freshman. Uh, what did we expect? Did we expect? CJ, I'm, I'm going to forgive C.J. He's a true freshman yeah. on the road in a hostile environment the first time playing a, a, a type of offense that he's almost certainly never played before. Of course, his eyes are probably going to be in the wrong spot at times. When you have veterans doing it, though, Curtis, I have a problem with that. Yeah, exactly. This is my thing that's really bothering me, especially about Pop, is we all knew he wasn't athletic. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Yeah. Is this the the weekly Bash Pop segment? Is that what this it is? It is because – Or Pop is not good enough segment? It, this is the well, – you know, this isn't even about to see his athletic ability. You know, I have a big thing that he is, you know, probably one of the least athletic linebackers we have. But the fact is well, he he's letting us down. Athletic, yeah. He's letting us down with his reads and things like that, which are what he was supposed to be really good at. Yeah. And look, Chris, I'm going to be honest, man. Like 
this offense that we played yesterday, there is no other team that we will play this season that will run an offense like that. What we were essentially playing was an option offense. That's what it was. It was a spread option offense. I mean, it was not like Paul Johnson, Georgia Tech option offense, but it, it was in the same family. And again, no one else we really played. No one else we played really does that. Maybe Ole Miss to a degree with some of their quarterback run stuff with Jackson Dart. Um, LSU, if, we, if they, I mean, well, if we lose an Ole Miss, I mean, Alabama and LSU both have mobile quarterbacks. So if we were lucky enough to get to the SEC championship game, if we were fortunate enough to, to pull it off, we're going to have to face some teams that actually have quarterbacks that can run, but they don't, they don't use their quarterbacks the way that Auburn does. So I do want to put that out there. I know that it's very frustrating for the first time in five years to see our defense seemingly get gashed, but I mean, let me ask you, Curtis, like when we used to play Georgia Tech with Paul Johnson, right? And we give up 200 yards rushing to Georgia Tech. Do you really bat much of an eye at that? Um, You really didn't for the most part, no. Right. And that's what I, I, I think perspective and context here does matter. I'm not saying it's good enough. I'm not trying to excuse it. It's not good enough. That's not okay. We're not going to win games if we're getting up 200 yards rushing. But I still maintain, Curtis, that no one this season through five games has been able to run the ball consistently between the tackles. They Auburn had like maybe two or three runs between the tackles that were between like 10 and ish, 10 to 12 ish yards, right? They really weren't gashing us between the tackles with the run running backs. I mean, their, their top running back, Dark West Hunter had 19 carries, 59 yards. It was quarterbacks. Once again, of course I've, I've run the numbers, man, in our five games this year. 44% of the rush yards that we have surrendered on defense have come from quarterbacks. That is eye discipline. That's what that is. Now, maybe yep. you want to say it's, it's schematics. And you know, some of those games early in the year, we didn't really have spies on quarterbacks. So those weren't teams that really run their quarterback that much. And so if you can put some on the scheme there. Maybe you don't like the scrape, the scrape exchange scheme. And that's pretty standard. That's kind of what people do. It's one of the way like, the zone read is not as big of a play as it once was because scrape exchange was something the defenses came up with to counter it. And so that's a pretty standard play. To me, again, I go back. It's eye discipline. We're not getting pushed around. I have some people asking questions like, hey, man, like our, our defensive line is just, it's just not good enough, right? I'm like, well, I mean. I don't think they were moving us, really. It was it was all misdirection stuff that you see from option offenses. And again, I don't think this translates. I know people I had a couple of people reasonably say, well, my God, like if Auburn is able to do this to us, what is Kentucky going to do? They had to run back almost go for 300 yards. What would you say to that, Curtis? Um, I actually think that we're going to have a better shot at shutting down Kentucky because of the scheme. Yeah, it's a different scheme. They don't have a quarterback run element. They don't. Yeah. Ray Davis, is, it's a very different type of run game. They want to run downhill, actually be physical. That's what. That's where we are strong. Like that. Like when we, that's why we shut down teams like Michigan and some right. of these other teams that try to pull it out. That pull that out right. on us. Like that. We're that's not that's huge. Now I'm not saying we're never that is never gonna we're never gonna lose to a team like that. But it doesn't scare me. As it much hasn't as it happened does recently. The, and it doesn't scare me as much as when we play teams like Auburn who have those different those schemes. Yeah, and I go back to like when we used to play Tech, Curtis, right? The the difficulty in playing Tech, it wasn't they had the talent that we have. Of course they don't. And the same thing with Auburn. The difficulty is you don't play anyone else like that. So you are practicing all week for an offense that you've never really seen before, and you're having to do things and play in a way that you never have to play all year long except for that one week. And you have 20 hours in a week, guys. And in college, you have 20 hours to meet and practice and get, and get prepared for a game. That's it. It's really difficult to do that in the middle of the season. It's really difficult. So, I, again, I, I'm not trying to excuse away what happened. I'm just trying to add some context and perspective to it. I don't think this is a reason to panic. I know it's not a good look, and there were some alarming things. Our eye discipline has been a pretty consistent issue at the inside linebacker position this year. That has got to improve. Again, like we're talking about some veterans doing that. 
that does concern me. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. That is that's a real thing. You know, CJ Allen does it as a true freshman. That's one thing. He's still a really good player. He's gonna be fine. He, he learns from these things. But we have some guys that should have already learned from these kind of mistakes before, and they're still doing some of those things. That's a problem that has got to get fixed. But I did take a you know, on the rewatch, I looked at it. And I felt better about the edge play. I don't think the edge play was terrible. It wasn't an elite. Like here's what would make it elite. If you had a guy like Nolan Smith who can close on pullers and also have the awareness to see the the ball carry and also I don't know make the play make the tackle, we're not doing that right now. Chaz Chambers is like a, is like a a heat seeking missile, and I have I have a lot of respect for Chaz man. He puts his body on line. You watch him out there; he is blowing up pullers, guards, centers, tackles, whatever. He's blowing them up. That's what he's asked to do. It's, it, we call that closing on the pullers in our scheme, and he's doing a hell of a job at that. But the problem is Chaz just basically just throws his body into those guys and, and has no regard whatsoever for the ball carrier. Now, maybe he's being coached to do that. But I also know we had a guy, Nolan Smith, for a couple of years who would close very, very well against pullers like that, but also be able to make the play on the ball carrier. And that's what made Nolan an elite run defender for us. He was never the pass rush we wanted to be. He was an elite run defender because he could do that. Our guys aren't doing that right now. Uh, I don't know. I, I was hoping you know, with Chaz it would come with time. I just don't know, man. I don't know. So that is the continuing issue for edge players. I don't think that they were – the problem really more than I think it was more the inside linebackers. So I don't know, but I'm with you, Chris. I don't think it translates so much to this week against Kentucky. Now Kentucky's on challenges a different way. It's, it's a soft football team. I mean, Ray Davis did almost go for 300 against Florida, but it's just a very different scheme. They don't have the quarterback run element. And, you know, it, honestly, Chris, they were out in numbers in the box. Did you catch that for most of the game? Um, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, we weren't really rolling guys in the box. You know, I mean, they always have plus one when you have the quarterback who's, who's running the ball, but, Oftentimes in that game, we route number the box, and that's tough. And especially when they're optioning off people, it makes it it makes it a tough def, uh, team to defend. So yeah, I mean, it was an issue. But Curtis, here's the thing: we still gave up barely over 300 total yards. Now you might want to say, well, Auburn just can't throw the football. And that's exactly right. We told you that all last week. Six straight games against powerful opponents, they have gone for under 100 yards passing. But still, we held this team to 300 ish. It was a 307 total yards. And 14 of the points, now we got to do better in the red zone. We'll get to that in a minute here. But they were off turnovers that were in our own territory. So I don't think it was as bad of a defensive performance as I think we all felt it was in the moment because we were losing. And we're not used to seeing a Georgia defense get, quote, unquote, gashed like that in the run game. But, I, again, I don't think it's quite as as problematic as maybe it seemed on first glance. All right, Curtis, another issue that continues to be an issue, let's go to the offense here, is what has become the trademarked Quote, Georgia, slow offensive start. I'm going to trademark that for him right now. Another scoreless first quarter for the Georgia offense, Curtis. Punt, interception on the first two possessions. We do get a touchdown on the third possession. Score with 11 minutes and 50 seconds to go in the second quarter. We do get a field goal in the next drive. We get the 10 points, but have to punt to close out the half. So 10 points total in the first half, zero points in the first quarter. Yet again, Curtis, this continues to be an issue. I mean, it's, it's a trend now. We're almost halfway through the season, man, and it's it's the same thing. How do you make sense of this? Um, well, the first thing I'll say is I feel like this this time it's a little bit different than what we were seeing at the beginning of the season. At the beginning of the season, we were just completely conservative, not really attacking. Um, and it felt like the last couple of weeks this hasn't been the issue as much, um, which I'll take as a positive. But we're still not executing all the way, which is I think is the biggest issue. Um, you go back to the second drive where we had the interception where you had a play that you could have you know put a little bit more air on it, get to Delp, and more than likely he's untouched for – you know, a 60 something yard touchdown or whatever it would have been. The fact is the plays were there to be made. And it's just to me, more execution. I mean, even on the first drive, we get it um, either. I think on their side of the ball or their side of the field. Yeah. No, in the first half, on the top of the second half. No, that very first drive when we, ended, oh, yeah, ended yeah, 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 I yeah. think we got, we crossed the 50. 
Yeah. I mean, Curtis, we're looking at this season right now, and we have scored – correct me if I'm wrong here. I believe it is 17 points total in the first quarter. I think it's some, I, I believe that is correct. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 17 points in the first. I, I'm with you, Curtis, and I, I did a video on on the Bobo thing. I know people have their minds made up about Mike Bobo. I get it. I understand the history that goes along with Mike Bobo, and I get it. I understand that. I, I will maintain he's not the problem. I'm not saying he's perfect. I would like. Here's one thing that I think he can do a better job of. I, I don't know, Curtis. Maybe just force feed Brock Bowers in the first half. Well, not only that. Here, here's my um. One of the bigger things too is. Maybe scheme-wise, if you notice in the second half, we didn't run 12 personnel as much. Or when we did, we did do uh, we did some different schemes. But it felt like in the second half when everyone wants to talk about how great Beck played, we went to more of uh, a spread attack, and he was th- he was run with some tempo, and that's why they were they were doing the whole oh I, I got I got shot by a sniper on the field. Yeah, right? but but run that was what Beck was most successful in. So I think that at times we need to go to that earlier. I agree. Here's what I would do if I'm Mike Bobo, and I, I don't think Mike Bobo is in the problem. I think again, you, you mentioned the 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 play to to um to Delp that was there, man. I mean, he's dialing up plays to be made, and we just got to hit him. I mean, Carson's playing great right now. He's just not hitting every he's not hit every throw. I mean, that's a tough throw. The one to Delp, he's got to layer that. That's a tough throw to make there, but he's got to be able to make that. But I'm with you on this with Bobo Curse. I will say this. I think that. If you're Mike Bobo and you're going back and you're doing some self-scouting, okay, what can we do better? How can we get off these better starts offensively? Well, you're exactly right. Let's go back and look at what was happening in the second half when our offense was rolling. Let's look at what we were doing well and how comfortable our quarterback looked in that, in that setting. Why do we not just go ahead and start games like that? You know what I mean? Like just like just come out firing like that. If that's, well, if that's it, how our it, yeah, offense is working – Especially you look back, like you think back to Jake Fromm. When was he always at his best? Oh, the always on tempo. And it's kind of, but yeah, they never did it to him in this, you know, throughout a game. But I'm it's hoping because we're, that it's it's a double edged sword. Curse. Kirby is so dead set on playing complimentary football. But here's and he the bleeds over I, the I offensive coordinator. You can go tempo to a degree, but we you still can be a spread attack. I mean, I know it, it works best in tempo, but the fact is Carson is best when he has multi, you know, three to four receivers running routes. Yeah. Curry just, he wants to even be able to rest. He wants to play complimentary football. And we have this identity, like we're stuck with this, like, okay, here's our Georgia offensive identity. Here's what we want to be. But I don't know if we have the tools and the personnel to be that team this year. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. I don't, I just don't know if we're that team. Like offensive line isn't been playing like it needs to, and we're injured, we're banged up right now. Guys are playing where they probably shouldn't be playing. I mean, it's, it's that that's part of the issue. But also, I mean, we know the running back room is an issue, man. I mean, it's it's a problem. So I again, I just don't know if we have the personnel to be the team that we're trying to be in the first half, which is what we've been the past couple of years that has led us to win two national titles. I just don't know if we have that personnel. I don't know if we have those tools, those resources. I think it would behoove us to at least adjust it to some degree here, all right? And I know that that's out of our comfort zone, and our defense is still the strength of this team, and we want to lean on the defense. I understand that, but we cannot continue to get off these slow starts. Eventually, of course, we're going to play somebody who's actually good enough to make us pay for that and beat us. I mean, some, we're going to eventually, and that that's cannot continue to happen. So I think that we need to do some self-scouting there and think like almost existentially, like, I know this is our identity, but like, does it have to be our identity this year? Do we need to adjust a little bit? Is there a happy medium? Those are the questions that need to start being asked. So, yeah, I mean, that's just um, – I don't know, man. And I, I would go back to the two. What Brock had, what, two catches in the first half? Is that right? I think so, yeah. Two catches, yeah. I mean, that's that's not that's not enough, man. Like this guy – we've and even Kirby said in the postgame press conference, like maybe we should feed the guy the ball a little bit more. I'm like, yeah, yeah you think? Probably. I mean this guy should get 20 touches a game. I'm dead serious, Chris, 20 touches a game. 
Like, why why are we not getting the guy 20 touches a game? I mean, make them stop him. Make yeah. them stop him. I agree. I do agree with that. Yeah, yeah. All right, Curtis, let's go back to the defense here. Red zone defense, man. I mentioned a little bit earlier. It it has been an issue, Curtis. I mean, we can't get around that. We were elite in our red zone defensive efficiency last year. We were number two last year in both overall scoring percentage and in opponent red zone touchdown scoring percentage. This year, we are 86 nationally right now in allowing touchdowns to red zone, giving up touchdowns a whopping 66.6% of the times our opponents get inside the red zone. Curtis. That is not good. We're talking about almost a 30% drop this year through five games. Yesterday, Auburn had four trips to the red zone, scored touchdowns on two of them, kicked a field goal on one, and we did come up. I'll give the defense credit here. We did come up with a massive stop. A massive stop. Maybe the biggest, one of the biggest plays in the game in retrospect with 118 in the first half on fourth and one from our own 12. They clearly Hugh Freeze, so they had to score touchdowns to win that game. I don't fault him for that, but we came up with a huge stop there. I, I honestly, Curtis, I'm at a loss for this almost to a degree. How do you account for the decline in red zone efficiency so far this year? Um, I think one thing that's killing us is, you know, we've talked about it a lot is the front seven, um, especially in, closer in the red zone. I feel like our linebackers aren't doing a good job of filling the gaps is one thing that you're really seeing. Yeah, run fits are off right now. Yeah, the run fits are off, and that's really hurting us in the red zone. And I do think this – I think our defensive line has played largely very, very well this year considering that we don't have a first-rounder on the defensive line right now. However, I think when you get in the red zone and teams want to run the football, I think this become – that's where it kind of gets magnified, you know? Like you don't have a Jalen Carter who's just going to blow a play up in the backfield consistently. I, mean, I think Warren Brinson's played a really high level, but he's still not – I mean, he's not Jalen Carter. I mean, come on. He's just not. So I think that becomes magnified a little bit more. We're just not as physically dominant in the front as we have been. I think that's where that becomes a somewhat of an issue. But, again, I, I think they've been playing largely well. It's just teams are able to run the ball a little bit better against us right now than they have in years past, and that's what you got to be able to do in the red zone. Uh, I you mentioned eye discipline. It's, it's a really a combination of all those things, Curtis. Like, we're just not playing like we are accustomed to see a Georgia defense play right now. There's some, we're making mistakes and doing things that we don't typically do. I do want to say I, I want to give our opponents credit. I think they've had some pretty good schemes when they get in the red zone on things to do. Uh, but we've got to do better. I don't, I don't care what their schemes are. I don't care. This is – like, Curtis, 66% touchdown percentage in the red zone. Are we even going to win the East if that continues? No, we'll be lucky to not lose multiple SEC games at this point. Yeah, I mean that that cannot continue. We played two teams, girls, that aren't that aren't really great in the SEC, and 66% touchdowns in the red zone. That's that is not okay. That is unacceptable. That's got to change. That's I mean honestly, to me, that is priority number one on what what needs to be fixed. If we're making a hierarchy of what of what needs to be fixed, a list to me, that's number one. Because the rush defense hasn't really – I mean, it's really quarterback stuff. It's all – it's so fixable. It's all just eye discipline. And you'd say it's fixable, but it's still been a continual problem. But it's it's not a it's not a physical deficiency when it comes to some of the, the issues with defending the quarterback run game. It's more just like what are we freaking doing out there? But 66% in the red zone, that's that's not – that's not going to cut us. It's not, man. It's not. All right, one more thing here. Uh, let's go to the offense. What did you make of the run game? I just want to get your overall thoughts on the Georgia run game against Auburn. It was not good enough, um, you know, especially the offensive line really let us down. What did you see from the offensive line in particular? Um, the There's one guy the, I thought. Well, Tate Ratledge, I felt like, had a terrible game. Oh, yeah, maybe two. Tate did not play well. I mean, really, did any of them play well? I thought Ernest no, Green actually I mean, played pretty the well. Thing, it, the whole line really struggled. So Dylan Farishaw got benched. Yeah. And he's the one I was looking at more. I mean, because, like, Curtis, in the first half of that game, I mean, I, I, bad. 
I mean, just it was bad. His head was like just looking down the ground and off balance. Like I'm just like, have you played offensive line before? I mean, I thought he's been playing really well. So this was like, I, I mean, whoa. I mean, I know it's his first road start, but also like it shouldn't affect an offensive lineman that much. Micah Morris did come in for him at left guard, uh, played a lot most of the second half. What did you make of Morris when he came in there? Uh, I thought he did better. Um, I think one of the yeah. biggest things right now also is the fact that there's just not as, as much trust and cohesiveness with this group. 100%. I mean, you're moving guys around. I mean, Trust has played, but he's now playing out at, at tackle when he was playing guard last year. And you have first time really guys who play are playing for the first time at, at guard, whether it's Fairchild or Morris right now. And, the, and Ernest Green, obviously, at left tackle, first-year starter. The cohesiveness is not there. I thought Ernest played better. I thought he's 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 continuing to improve. I liked what I saw from him. Tate Rattledge curse is a guy that I thought with the way he finished last year, I thought he had a chance of another good year to be a, put himself in like first, second round NFL draft conversation. You see that right now? No, I don't. Oh no, no. I, I right, what he's doing right now. I mean, Tate, you better be coming back next year, man, because right now you are not putting good stuff on Tate. You are he is better than that. And I just I'm almost, I'm at a loss. I, I don't. He's. I mean, again, like if you see Dylan Fairchild put his head down and get off balance, okay, you know, not okay, but also you understand this guy hasn't played a lot of football. That's not the case for Tate Rattledge, man. He's doing a lot of the same things. He's getting he's getting out physical and he's getting pushed back at the line, and that should not happen. I don't expect to see that from Tate Rattledge. So that's got to improve. Trust is is trust, man. I mean, he's he's I don't know, man. Do you still think he's a better he's better at tackle than guard? Because I don't now. I I was thinking that now after yesterday, I don't know. After yesterday, I don't feel that way. I just he's wherever he is, man. I and I I don't want to kill him. It's just he's not playing a high enough level, whether it's a guard or tackle right now. It's no, just, that's true. It, yeah, I mean, so the offensive line is not being great. I thought we were taking strides, and it did not look especially good against Auburn. Here's the other thing too, Curtis. It's probably the most concerning part for me. They weren't really rolling bodies down in the box. They were playing with a two high safety shell most of the game. And they were able to keep our run game in check. And that's a recipe usually for disaster for Georgia. Because when teams can do that, we are, our play action is not really going to work effectively. And they were not really rolling that safety down much at all in that game. A couple times here and there. But they were playing with a two high safety shell most of the game. And for the majority of the game, with a few exceptions, you know, I know Dejan had a nice run on the toss. We were not really able to make them pay. So it and look the running back. Obviously, we know that's a that that is a problem right now. We don't have bodies there. We're just not healthy there. I thought Dejan played fairly well. I mean, if you look at it though, Curtis, our top two guys, Dejan Edwards and Dylan Bell, combined for 23 carries for 101 yards. Not dynamic, not elite, but also not terrible. I know the final numbers you look at and say 30 30 rushes, 107 yards, 3.6 yards per carry. But you got to factor in Carson there. I mean, taking some knees that factors in as well. So our top two rushers, again, 23 carries, 101 yards. It comes out to like 4.3 yards per carry. Not great, but not not abysmal, not terrible. On the road, in an environment like that, it's it was good enough. But I, I would like to see us get that number up over five yards per attempt. And we just – we've got to hit some explosives, man, in the run game. I mean, what, I know Dejan had about a 15-yard touchdown run, but we've got to find a way to bite off chunks of yards in the run game. And really in the passing game as well because it, it was great that we went on some long drives, like 10, 11-play drives. You're not going to be able to consistently do that against better teams. You're just not. So we've got to find a way to get explosive plays more involved in this offense so that we can have three, four, five play drives more consistently. Maybe even one play drives. That'd be great too. It's just really hard to go 10, 11 plays consistently and be efficient play to play and drive your way down the field against good teams in the SEC. That's just tough. So I think if we can find a way to get a little bit more explosive in the run game, that would help. One of the things that I've been advocating for, and I, I will continue to advocate for, we run the ball 
in my opinion, we run the ball the best when we do it out of spread sets. We get out of these heavy sets. We spread the field. We have five offensive linemen in the box. We force the defense to, to get guys out of the box, and then you reduce the number of guys that actually have to make blocks. There's not as much traffic. When Dylan Bell's in the game, that's essentially what we do, and Dylan is effective when he's in the game because there's not as much traffic there in the box. I continue. If there's one thing I think my bubble can change in the run game, I advocate for that. That would be something I would like to see on a more consistent basis. But again, it's it's the whole identity thing. It's this existential identity crisis that we have offensively. What should we do versus what we have been? All right, Kurt. So that's the ugly stuff. We've got that out of the way, and when we come back from the break, we will shine a brighter light on the positives to take away from this win over Auburn. But before we move on, I do want to remind you guys once again about our friends at MyBookie. I hope most of you have already signed up for a new account at MyBookie. But if you haven't, guys, we're not even at the midway point yet. There's still plenty of time to sign up, still plenty of money to win. And it's so simple to get started. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag. It's about a 60-ish second process, if even that. You sign up for a new account. Use one of two promo codes you have to choose from. You can use our code UGA to get a 50% bonus on top of that first deposit for all new users. There is a playthrough with that one, so if you want to avoid that, all good. Just use the other option, which is 200 cash. If you do that, you get a 10% bonus on your first deposit up to $200. And it's a straight cash bonus, guys. Straight cash bonus, no playthrough, completely avoid that straight to your account and is yours to do what you want with so take advantage of these deals while you can so you can bet anything anytime anywhere only with my bookie all right curtis it clearly was not always pretty but let's also be real there were some positives to take away from this performance so let me just ask you this curtis before we get into some of the specifics what did you learn about this team on saturday um, I think the biggest thing is kind of just the way they came together and won that game. Um, th- this was the first game for quite a few players of being on the road playing meaningful snaps. And, um, you know, they got punched in the face. You could, we, we come out, fumble in the first play in the second half, get punched in the face again, but yet they, uh, they kept coming back and coming back. And I think uh, seeing the resilience from the team was huge. Yeah, I think resiliency is the key word. I mean, you're right, Curtis. After the fumble by Delp, they scored a touchdown. It was it was insane in the stadium then. You know that. And then after Dajan, again, quote-unquote fumble, but didn't actually fumble, they were – it was bananas. Like, it was insane. Even though even once they overturned, they were pissed, but it was still super, super loud. So I, I'm with you, man. I take a lot of things away from this game that I think are very positive moving forward. I mean, I, just think about some of this context here, guys. This is the second time this season that we were down by a touchdown or more in the second half against an SEC opponent. It's the second time that we have answered the bell. So the first time in South Carolina, it was not an anomaly. This is something that this team is capable of. It was different this time. We were in a more ominous situation, more precarious situation, in my opinion. Being down, on the, we were down seven points on the road. We had the in the second half. We were tied at halftime. Come out, you mentioned we fumble. That place is going bonkers. It's going crazy. The world's against us. We have a quarterback making his first road start, and what do we do? We go 98 yards to tie the game. 98 yards to tie that game. And the next drive, we backed up at our own nine. We don't get a touchdown out of it, but we drive it down and we kick a field goal, right? And then they tied up, give them credit, tie game, 621 to go. Again, Curtis, that place was rocking, which we knew it was. We're telling you all week it was going to be rocking, and they delivered. It's a great environment, man. It's a great college football environment. Got to give them credit. And I was sitting there. I'm, I'm freaking out, man. I'm biting my nails. I'm pacing back and forth. You saw me, man. I'm just – I'm like a nervous wreck. Didn't even talk to anybody. I was just freaking out. Because I'm like, I mean, if we don't get – if we don't – do something here. They're going to get the ball back. They're going to go down the score and they're going to win the game. And it's just, it's season's over. 
But what do we do? Hostile environment, crowd going nuts. We drive it 75 yards for a touchdown. Every single time this team had to answer the bell on Saturday, they answer the bell. Every single time. So I, I'm with you, man. I take a lot away from that in terms of the resilience of the team. Now, I would like to see us not put ourselves in a position to have to do that. That would be ideal. But I do think that we were learning more about this team and what this team is made of. Again, let's not put ourselves in those spots. But it's like we talked about the Missouri game last year. Eventually, we're going to be tested. And you would like to know that when, you, when you're going to be tested against better teams, that you can answer the bell. I think that we're learning that about this team. Rocker, right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about it, man. Let's talk about Brock Bowers. Simple question here, dude. Is Brock Bowers the best player in America? Um, it's hard to argue otherwise. I think he's the best player at his position in America. Yeah, that would be my argument. I, I would have a hard time saying there is a better player in this country right now at the college football level that is better at what he is supposed to do than Brock Bowers at that position. And I know that you know, well, eight catches for 157, and that's great. I mean, Curtis, we, we got to feed this guy over and over again. And, and talk about clutch, four catches, 121 yards on the final two drives. He does in a way that nobody does it. His relentlessness, his drive to go out there and just put his body on the line and do whatever it takes, never say die, never go down. I mean, he's, he's unbelievable, man. And we are so lucky to have this guy. I mean, back-to-back games. Eight catches, 157, nine catches, 121. So it's 17 catches for 278 in the last two games combined. He's got 30 catches for 413 on the year. Curtis, I'm not good at math, so double-check me on this, man. But based on my calculations, for a 13-game season, I know hopefully we have more than 13 games in the season, but let's just be let's just be conservative here. In a 13-game season, that puts Brock on pace for 78 receptions and 1,073 yards which would both be Georgia records. He'd be the second pass catcher, not receiver, but pass catcher in Georgia history to surpass 1,000 yards in a season. And again, hopefully we have more than just 13 games. Hopefully we start feeding him the ball even more. But Brock Bowers is unbelievable, man. We are so fortunate to have him. I don't think that we win the game without him last la- – uh, not last night, yesterday. So I'm just – God, man, just an absolute animal. I know there's not much to say that we haven't already said about him, but you got to at least mention him there. But Curtis, I do want to dive in more to Carson Beck's performance. We did talk about how this was going to be Carson Beck's first road start, and you never know. Like that, that's, that was my whole thing with, with Carson. I, I like what I've seen from him to this point, but you never know how he will respond in that situation until you know, until you're there. So how would you, Curtis, evaluate Carson Beck's performance against Auburn? I thought he did really well, actually. You know, um, not until after the game when you're seeing in his stat line did you actually see how well he actually did. But overall, you know, he did. You know, he did have the one he missed the Delp, yes, but I thought for the most part he played pretty well, you know, protected the ball. Yes, he threw a pick. I don't know. I don't really put that on him as much as the receiver, and then also, you know, maybe it could have been a flag. But I think overall he played really yeah, well, especially in the, Marcus's body, yeah. Yeah, and then especially in the second half, um, you know, once we st- went to more of that spread attack, he was doing even better. I mean, a lot of big-time throws on third downs, which is what won us the game. Did you see his overall numbers on third down? Uh, I, I, eight of I, ten I, for 115 yards passing on third down. Right there, that's gonna see that. That's that's how you. That's win winning football, game. man. Yeah, especially in a game on the road like this, that's how you win. Yeah, that's not Sanford Stadium. This is Auburn. That, that is look. I know people want to say Neyland, Neyland Stadium is a great environment, and it is. It can be. Not always. It can be. I, I'm telling you, man. Auburn, when it's rolling like it was on Saturday, it it's just as good as Neyland. It really is, man. Like that is a tough environment in the second half. In clutch moments, down, have to come back, tie game, have to take the lead, pressure is on, and Carson Beck in his first road start in that environment delivered the way that he delivered. And I know Brock was amazing. I know he was. Don't get me wrong. Brock is freaking incredible. 
But that doesn't happen if Carson Beck wets the bed. And Carson Beck definitively did not wet the bed. That dude is made of the right stuff. Now, you're right. He's got some throws that he didn't hit in the first half that he's got to hit. That, that ball to Delp, he's got he's to hit that ball. And that's the one thing I think in Carson's game, I want to see him improve. He's got to hit the vertical shots. He does really well throwing it, you know, to the sidelines. He does well throwing across the middle. He's got, and I've seen him do it with the vertical shots. He just got to hit them more because we're, we're dialing up some plays, and th- those are explosive opportunities, and we've got to hit some of those. But I mean, dude, in in that situation, setting context, just absolutely gutty, man. What a performance by Carson Beck. 16 of 20 for 236 in the second half. wasn't great in the first half, only 77 yards passing. But for the second game, of course, it was an SEC opponent. Not a great first half. Comes out un- unflappable, man. Not bothered. He completely unbothered and comes out and just come and just I, I mean dominates. He was fantastic in the second half. And that talking about things to take away from this game that are positives. That might be the biggest one for me. Is Carson Beck's performance? I truly believe, Curse, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC right now. I mean, he's he's lights out, dude. I mean, he's playing at a really high level. And I know everyone wants to be perfect. And we have these expectations that are impossible to for anyone to really match up to but Carson for a guy who started for five games five games this guy has gotten off to the best start of any quarterback in Georgia history in terms of his first five starts I mean that that's just the facts guys again not saying he's perfect but he's been absolutely unbelievable and third downs in general curse eight of 13 in that environment without any false starts without any delay penalties just crazy and actually it's been a trend now two games I know it's not much of a trend but it's a trend two games makes a trend the last two games, UAB and Auburn, we are 18 of 26 on third downs, Curtis, these last two games, 69% third down conversion. So the red zone defense hasn't been great, but the red zone, the third down offense and the red zone offense has gotten better. So that's certainly kind of counteracting that to a degree. So I'm seeing a lot of good things. I, I've seen a lot of things to take away that are really positive from the Georgia offense. I want to see some more explosives. Those are there. But outside of that, I think that we're, we're seeing a lot of really good things from this Georgia offense. All right, Lab McConkie, Curtis, you asked me. Right before kickoff, we're in the stadium. You said, all right, man, how many how many snaps do you think for, for Ladd? And I was like, or did you say over under 10? I think I said over. What? I don't, I don't have the, the snap counts here. Do you think he went over? I think he went over. Yeah, he did go. Or I, I think I saw the snap total that he did go over 10. I see. I did take the under. I think the biggest thing, um, especially with the way how, how the game went, he was – I have a feeling he was pressed into uh, – pressed into I think he played more, more than we probably wanted to. Exactly, and I think that's what I was going to say is that it, we didn't expect to have to have him out there for that many snaps. Yeah, and Kirby kind of alluded to that in the postgame press conference. It was like he was asked, was, was that on a pitch count? He's like, no, but he didn't really practice much at all last week, so I wasn't sure he was going to respond. But, you know, when things got real, kind of needed him out there. And it's like, yeah, kind of did. And he came with, and it wasn't just that he was out there. That's great just to see him, Curtis. Just great to see him out there. I know it was only four catches for 38 yards, but Kirby was talking about some big-time third-down conversions. Yeah, that's and, where he was huge. Yeah, and and it wasn't just like oh you know, it, we schemed him open. I mean, yeah, he was one on one, but he created separation with his route running. And that's what Lad does, man. That's what Lad does. If you're always wondering why is Lad so open, Lad is an incredible route runner, guys. He's a precise route runner, and he's able. He's not the fat. He's fast. He's not the fastest guy out there, but he is an incredible route runner, and that's how he's able to create separation. That's exactly what he did in those critical moments on third downs. I mean, it was a third and ten from our own 37 after we fumbled, you know, open the half and they're, they're up 17, 10 crowds going nuts. Third and 10. We're in our own territory and lag great separation, man. On the outside there, Carson put, give him some credit, put on the money there. 
that's a huge play. Again, I know the final numbers are four for 38. You know, he didn't make that not that much of a difference. He did, though, man. He absolutely did. Just having him out there is huge. I'm hoping that his back's going to be okay. He's going to be too sore. He's not going to flare up. I'm hoping we have him back for the rest of the year. Because our, I will say our offense is different with a healthy Lab McConkey. Clearly, our offense is different with a healthy Lab McConkey. You match him with Brock Bowers, and we're seeing some of the other guys come on. I mean, Ra-Ra had a really nice catch, man, on, on a conversion. I think this offense is it's only up from here for this offense. I think the offense is playing really well right now. I know 27 points. Ah, is it really that great? I thought we played really good football considering the context and some of the situations that we were put in there. Uh, all right, Curtis, anything else that you want to take away from this game that, that you think is positive? I just want to put it out there to you. No, I think those are the high points. I thought the pass rush, I mean, we talked about the defense. Uh, the, the rush defense wasn't great. I thought we we rushed the passer pretty well. I mean, they only dropped back 20 times. We got three sacks and 20 dropbacks. So I, I'll take that. You know, I thought I thought we did a pretty good job of pressuring him when they did drop back and not often. But I think that was a step in the right direction from a pressure standpoint. Auburn's offensive line is not great, but I do think that was something positive there. But all right, Curtis, we got a couple more things we want to talk about. And we get back from this last break. We will wrap the show up. But before we do that, you know we got to talk about our great friends at Alumni Hall. We have another home game this week, guys, so I know a lot of you will be coming back into town to the Classic City this weekend, and when you do, make sure to stop by Alumni Hall. It's right off of 316, right off the Oconee Connector, inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center. It is extremely convenient on your way into town for the game this weekend. They will be open bright and early, 8 a.m., ready and waiting for you guys. Think about all the best George gear that you're going to find anywhere, the best selection of George gear, the best brands, the best customer service, the best of everything, guys. It's a no-brainer. If this is your first trip to Athens for a game this season, you definitely got to stop by Alumni Hall to pick up all the best Georgia game day gear. But even if you've been in town a couple of times, and maybe if you already stopped by Alumni Hall, they've always got new stuff, guys. they got a bunch of new Johnny O pullovers. You know I'm big on Johnny O. I've really come to like that brand over the past couple of years. And the Alumni Hall has a fantastic selection of Johnny O, but also Peter Millar, Nike, Nike Golf, Cutter and Buck, Southern Tide, whatever you're looking for. Trust me, guys, they've got it. So check them out today because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. All right, Curtis, we're going to get to our game balls here in just a moment. But first, a couple final questions for you about this game. I think there's a couple points you can you can look at, Curtis, and say in this game, that was the turning point in the game. I think there's a couple places you can look. But to you, what was the turning point in this game? I think I'm going to go to that big third down catch Brock made. Uh, the On one-handed the- catch. The final drive or the, the drive before the last? drive before that where we kicked the field goal to go the ahead. The field goal, yeah. That was huge. Because if we don't get that, then Auburn's going to kick the field goal to go ahead. And I yeah, think, I think it's it was third different. nine from about the 50-ish. I think we were slightly in our own territory. Yeah, and I think I think if we don't get that first down and don't go down there and kick that field goal, then it's a completely different game. Unbelievable catch, man. Unbelievable catch. Absolutely unbelievable catch. I mean, God, he was so freaking awesome, man. Just incredible. I mean, game ball. We can go ahead and spoil alert on that one. Yeah, that was a huge man, man. I, if we're looking for one point, in retrospect, I mean, I'm going to go back to the end of the first half, man. Fourth and one from our 12. Yeah. I mean, when you look back on it, you don't realize because it happened earlier in the game how yeah. cool it was. But to me, like I rem- I'm just sitting there in the stands, and I'm like, oh, my God, they get this and go up 17. I know we get the ball in the second half, but, I mean, they're going to have all the momentum carried in the second half. This crowd's going to be crazy. When we get that stop there, I'm not going to say it shut down their momentum. They got it back in the second half briefly. But, I mean, Curtis, that's a different animal. It's a different game, a different feel when you go down 17-10 potentially into the half. But to be able to man up there, when they've been running the ball fairly well, as we laid out earlier in the game, to be able to man up there and, and come up with a stop on fourth and one at our own 12, 
Again, red zone efficiency has not been great for us, but the guys come up with a stop there. I mean, they, I think in retrospect, that might be the biggest moment or maybe just the Brock Bowers catch and run for a touchdown. I don't know. I think there's a couple of different areas you can go. But I think if you look back, that was a huge, huge moment in that game. Uh, all right, Curtis, last thing here before we get to game balls. What's your takeaway from this game? When you le- when you look back at this game, you walk out of the stadium, what was running through your mind? Um, win and survive. And I know that's yeah. a bad, you know, people are like, well, we should win bigger. Uh, first road game like this on the ro- or first game on the road like this um, with a young team. And you see, you know, the way we ended that game, it wasn't like where we almost gave it, you know, where we were ahead and let them come back. No, it was a dog fight. So I think just seeing it like that was huge. Survive and advance, Curtis. It's that simple. I'm with you. Survive and advance. We've talked about it for the past couple of weeks, Curtis. We are not a healthy football team. This is not a finished product. We are very much a work in progress. Have some key players, some young players in key spots. We have some impact players that are out. It's great to see Lab McConkey come back, but we still have a number of guys that are out right now. Javon Buller came back. That was nice to see. But right now, until we get fully healthy, get all of our guys back, it's about survive and advance. Get to that bye week. Try to get healthy heading to Florida in the stretch run of our season, all right? Because all of a sudden, Missouri looks pretty tough too now. Missouri's playing some pretty good football offense. That's a, that's a dangerous offense right now. Survive in advance. That's what I said last week. I'll continue to say it. Don't slip up. Just keep improving. That's one of the hallmarks of Kirby Smart's teams. They get better. Kirby never rests. We're going to get better. We just cannot slip up before we get there. I think by the end of the season, we can be one of the best teams. But again, just cannot slip up. And we almost did. We almost did. That's why I was freaking out in, the, in, the, in that stadium yesterday. But we survived in advance, man. That's what it's about right now. It can't always be about that, but for now, it's about that. I mean, and Curtis, look, I, I know that lots of people are, are down on this team and say we can't win a national championship, and maybe we won't. I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see what this team ultimately ends up being. But I go back to last year, Curtis, the team that we played in the national championship, and I know we beat the hell out of them, 65-7. We all know that. Glorious game. That team won, won like nine one-score games last year. Yeah, exactly. National I mean, championship. And right now, I think the huge thing is to, is you know to survive in advance until we get healthier and we get more experience. Yeah, I mean it's just win, man, just win. And look, we're, we can very well. I mean, I'm, I haven't looked at the rankings yet because I'm still watching games, so that kind of is a spoiler thing. So I don't I don't look at the rankings for a day or two. But and you might know this, Kurt, but don't spoil it for me. We might very well drop in the rankings after a game like that. I I don't know, and that's fine. I do not care. I don't care if we drop right now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is where we are at the end of the season. If we keep winning games, we'll be where we want to be. That's what it comes down to. Again, the team that played in the national championship last year won, I think it was like nine one-score games, and they made a national championship game. So don't tell me that we can't do it. I know this team is not a national championship team right now as currently constructed, but it's a long way before we get there, get to that point. And I think we have seen some, again, some positive things that we've laid out that give us reason to believe that we can develop into that team. We are not that team yet, as we talked about last week. But I still believe that we can develop into that team. And I think this team is made of the right stuff, which is really what I took away, Curtis. Surviving advance, yes. But also, this team is made of the right stuff. Now, are we as talented as we have been? I, maybe not. It remains to be seen. I want to see what we look like when we get fully healthy. But a lot of teams would have folded in that situation, Curtis. A lot of teams would have folded. And a lot of teams would have lost that game. A lot of teams, maybe even more, as much talent as we had, would have lost that game. These guys didn't. These guys didn't. I cannot emphasize to you guys enough how hostile of an environment that is. It's it's insane. And for guys like Carson Beck in his first first start to be able to pull that out, I mean, just gutsy, man. I think this team has made the right stuff. So I take that away from it. I know we have things to improve on. I'm not trying to gloss over all that. Clearly we do. But I also don't think it's all all lost. I don't think all hope is lost here. All right, Curtis, game balls. I'm going to let you go first. I, I, I'm i pretty sure where you're going to go with it. Who gets your first game ball? Uh, Brock Bowers, no question. 
I mean, we, we don't need to discuss it. We already laid it out. And Brock, honestly, he should probably get the first game ball every single week. And if, if that's not the case, then it's a failure on the part of the coaches because we just got to get the guy the ball because he's going to make plays. It doesn't matter what defense tries to do to him. He's going to make plays as Brock is, is Brock. That's all needs to be said. All right, I'm going to go Carson Bettman. Talked about Carson. I think Carson played lights out. Deuce. The second half, certainly. First half wasn't as great, but not terrible. Fine. Uh, second half, though, when we needed him the most, Carson was just lights out, dude. Absolutely delivered. Ice in the veins, beautiful stuff from a guy making his first his first career road start, fifth career overall start. I, I think Carson Beck by the end of this year, man, can be the best quarterback in the SEC. I think he can be that guy. Willie, I don't know, but I think I've seen some really positive things from him. I think he can grow into that kind of guy. All right, Kurt, who gets your next game ball? I'm going to go Malachi Starks. Um, the guy is just always Mr. Dependable back there, um, coming up with the big interception at the end of the game. He just is one of those guys that does it all for us, both in pass defense and even in the run game. He's you know, a really good tackler. Were you, I, Iowa, I was in outer space when he intercepted that ball. Were you screaming, get down, get down, get down, like I was? I was, yes, especially because, like I told you, after I didn't realize it was him who had it. You know, I trust yeah. him a little bit more. I thought it was Javon Bullard, which is what scared me. But yeah. knowing it was him makes it not as scary. I tr- I'm also know. the guy that, in the national championship game against Alabama, I was screaming for Keely to get, the ball, to get down. Everyone's, yeah. like, going bonkers. I'm like, get down, get down. I'm that weirdo. I know, whatever. But yeah, let's play play safe. Get down. He got down eventually. Got down. But I had to hold my breath there for a minute. So yeah, Malachi. He, I mean, he's he's he is playing like an all American, right? Yeah, to me he is. Yeah, I think. I mean, just the way he moves out there. I mean, that dude is. I mean, he's an NFL player, dude. The lights out. So yeah, I think he's an all American. I think he was a preseason all American. I think he would end up being a postseason all American as well. Good call there. Again, I know that the numbers weren't elite, but I'm gonna give Lab McConkey a game ball here, Curtis. Because he wasn't fully healthy. He goes out there, and he probably played more than he probably should have, to be honest with you. Um, but team needed him. And he goes out there, four catches, 38 yards, but a couple of big conversions when we needed him, man. And just having a guy like that out there is, is such a sight for Soraya. So I got to give Lad McConkey a game ball in his debut in the 2023 season. Who else you got? Um, I got one more, and I'm going with a Peyton Woodring. Um, you oh, know. great call. You know, kicks that kicks that field goal to go ahead. It was just huge. I mean, both of them, Curtis. I mean, look, it's been a tough go to this point in the season for for the for the true freshman. And when he went out there, I mean, you saw me, Curtis. I couldn't look, right? I had to turn around. I, just, I can't watch this. Yeah. And he nailed the book. And I know they they weren't like long field goals, but I don't care. Freshman, that setting, that situation, big, absolutely. How much better do you feel about him now after that game? Um, a little bit better. You know, it was. They were straight on kicks, which is nice. I, I really need to see it from more. They were both under 40, right? Yeah, and I need to see them from angles because that's actually when he seems to struggle the most. Yeah. But, I mean, certainly progress, and I feel yeah, better. I'm it not, is. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not completely over my concerns there, but I'm also not as concerned. So, that uh, again, great call. Positive air. There's another one to take away from that. I'm going to go. I know that we feel like the defensive front played terrible, and I know everyone's convinced that our defense is, is the worst defense in the country, and we can't stop the run. I understand all that. And so, and the, we, there are issues, clearly. I, however, don't think Michael Williams was one of the issues, Curtis. I think Michael Williams played a really, really strong football game. Uh, I believe he got a sack in the game, if I remember correctly. But even if he didn't, he was he was creating pressure when they were when they did drop back, which wasn't much. I thought he played of all the defensive linemen, especially our edge players. I thought he played clearly the best of all of them. I thought he was strong at the point of attack. I thought he was engaging blockers very well. I thought he was then disengaging from blockers. I thought he was controlling blockers. He played strong. He played physical, and I thought he showed me something. Because we know that this guy is a pass rusher. We know that's what we expect from him. And what, but one of the reasons that he lost. 
I don't want to say lost starting job. He started a couple games last year, but he wasn't started at the end of last year. Tremel Walthour was. Why? Because Tremel was better against the run. That's just the reality. Michael has certainly improved his run defense. He's stronger. Um, he's more experienced, which certainly helps. But I thought he played really well on the edge. I know that most people are like, dude, no one played well on the, on the defensive line. I don't think that's the case. I think Michael Williams, what I saw in the stadium, and honestly on the rewatch, I was impressed with what I saw from Michael Williams. So I got I to gotta give him a game ball. And you said you're done, Curtis? Yeah, those are the big ones for me. Yeah, those those are all big ones. Good call. I got one more. I'm going to throw this out there. I don't know if he was dominant. He wasn't. But I was impressed with what he was able to do coming off the bench and playing left guard for us in that game, Curtis. I thought Micah Moores played really well for us and might have earned himself a start next week. What do you think about that? I think that is fair. You know, we didn't rotate back, so that's what makes me think that yeah. um, he may be – Looking at another start there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give up on Dylan Fairchild because, again, I thought Dylan was playing fairly well coming into this week. So I think he's going to be a good player for us. I just – I think Micah played better, man. He played better. So I would be absolutely okay with Micah Moore's playing left guard. I mean, Fairchild, I, should, I, I don't want to sure, him, man. He was not good in the first half. Like, he was bad, actually. He was, it was not good enough. And I'm, I'm glad our coaches saw that because I was seeing it. And if, you know, if I see it, you know, they see it. They made the move. I think Micah Moore's uh, really performed well when he got his opportunity. And I, I would – Honestly, I kind of expect to see him out there to open the game against Kentucky. It'll probably still be a rotation, but uh, I, I definitely think Micah Morris uh, really performed well in that game. One more here, Curtis, actually, the top of my head. What did you make of the play of, of Dalen Everett? Does Dalen deserve a game ball? Um, uh, he, did make, he made one huge play. I know that for sure. Yeah. He made that one um, huge play when he pushed the ball in the guy's hand. There's another play he made that uh, I know he got called for the PI on one of them. He's got to turn around. But there's another play he made. I think it was a third down potentially. Uh, I thought he played better. What'd you make of, of his overall performance? Um, better. He's not there yet. No, he's still not there. But I, he's definitely farther ahead than um, Julio Humphrey. Yeah, and Julio got a lot of play, man. I mean, that the, clearly that battle is not over. But I, here's the thing: I continue to say, like, what gives Dalen the edge is his physicality on the perimeter. That's what gives him the edge. Right now, Humphrey's just that's not his game. He's not as big. He's not as strong. And that gives Dalen the edge. I think Humphrey might be a better cover guy overall. But Dalen started to come on, made some good plays, didn't panic. Like he had been kind of panicking the first couple of games when he was like isolated one on one with guys. And I think he's starting to come into his own a little bit still, a work in progress, like our team in general. But I saw some good things out of him. Maybe not a full on game ball, but maybe an honorable mention. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Because that one, the one ball late in the game where he knocked, the, knocked out the receiver's hand, that was a huge play. That's a huge play. So I think yeah. honorable mention, Dalen Everett. Yeah, let's go with that. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Obviously, we are just beginning to dive into what happened on the plane Saturday night. This is kind of our instant reaction. I'm working through a second rewatch right now. I did the first rewatch. It was on my phone, so I'm working on a second one right now. So we'll kind of have our pun further review mailbag episode for you guys on Tuesday night. All the mailbag questions are already pouring in, but there's still time to get your questions in. I'm going to try to get to as many of them as I possibly can, as I do each and every week. So feel free to send those questions to us on Twitter. It's at glory underscore UGA. You can also find us on Instagram. It's just glory UGA podcast. Or if email is easier for you, you don't do the whole social media thing, you can email us your questions at glory UGA podcast at gmail.com. So keep those coming, guys. We'll get to as many of them as we can this week. And then we'll have our Kentucky game preview episode. And Charlie will be back with me at the very end of the week 
for our week six picks of the week. So a lot of great content for you guys as we have for you each and every week, not just through the season, through the entire year. But of course, we really try to bring the heat for you guys during the college football season. And just one more quick little plug here. We do have our new Glory UJ YouTube channel. I'm trying to get as much video content out there as I can. I wasn't able to last week. Life got really busy and it's just tough doing the four episodes a week and get the video content out there because I want to make sure whatever I put out there is good. I don't want to just throw garbage out there. I, I will take pride in it even if I'm not very good at the video stuff. I'm trying. I'm working at it. I'm trying to get better. So this week I am going to try to get some stuff out there though because obviously there's a lot of interest in this game and going back and doing the rewatches, I'm like picking out plays. Okay, we're going to talk about this. We're talk about that. So I'm trying guys. I promise I'm trying to get that out there. But make sure you are following our Glory UT- UGA YouTube channel. So when I do get the videos out there, you get those notifications. You can see that and you can like, subscribe, watch, enjoy all the above. So thank you guys. We always, always, always appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. And of course, as always, go dogs.